0: Hello, everybody. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life, because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the you want to lead. It's true. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, the premier free writing magazine on the internet featuring articles on writing, the writing life, my blog, yes, my or my column, let's call it that, it's three times a week. I write about the intersection of creativity, spirituality, writing, all that. Plus, of course, video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. You know, I got an interesting one up now, my conversation with Garth Stein, he of, uh, of Racing in the Rain, the author of that. And uh, also uh, Kevin uh Kevin O'Don- Kevin oh my god O'Brien jeez I was blanking on his last name sorry Kevin Kevin O'Brien these guys were instrumental in forming the Seattle 7 a wonderful Seattle based writing organization that is calling it quits after 10 years so we sat down and talked about that great conversation check it out it's an unusual different sort of thing at at authormagazine.org and we're funded by the fabulous Pacific Northwest Writers Association These people have been supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955, and, you know, you've been hearing me talk about it for a long time. This week, the Pacific Northwest Conference, big conference, one of the biggest in the country, going off, teeing off this Thursday, uh, September 12th, yes, uh, all the way to Sunday, great conference, I'm going to be there. Moss is going to be there. Chris Vogler is going to be there. All kinds of writers, agents, all kinds of stuff. I think you could still, I think there's still room if people want to try and squeeze in. I think you can do it. I think you might even be able to get some pitch sessions with some agents. We got a lot of room. We're big organization, big conference. And, uh, you know, they're even doing a thing on Sunday, special sort of mini conference, just for screenwriters. Yes, indeed, just for the screen. Oh, and you know, the woman who wrote. Uh, Save the Cat for Novelists. She's sort of taken over the Save the Cat industry since uh, that fellow passed away. Uh, Blake Snyder passed away. Well, she's sort of taken it over, and so she's teaching a Save the Cat for Novelists. Yes, she is. That's going to be great. I can't remember her name. I'm sorry, but she'll be there. Anyway, it's going to be great. Come on over, and if you listen to the show and you see me there, say hello. It's okay. I love talking to people. What I do is one of my favorite things, which is what I'm doing right now. I'm looking forward to talking to my guest today. Mr. Howard Michael Gould. What an interesting guy. Howard spent five years working on Madison Avenue. That's right. He was a madman, kind of, sort of. Anyway, he was on Madison Avenue. He won three Cleos and numerous other awards. But then things changed, and he went into television, where he was an executive producer and head writer for Sybil. Remember that one? You do. Where uh, it, when it won gold for best comedy series. The same position on Instant Mom and the Jeff Foxworthy Show. He wrote and directed the feature film, The Six Wives of Henry Lefay starring Tim Allen and Jenna Elfman. And, of course, oh, he's also a novelist. Yes, he is. He's the author of two novels, Last Looks and, most recently, Below the Line, featuring tortured, eco-maniacal, private eye, Charlie Waldo. And the film version of Last Looks, starring, uh, starring Charlie Hunnam and Mel Gibson and directed by Tim Kirby, is currently in post. And that means it's actually gonna get made. Yes, it is, and he's with us now. Howard, how you
1: doing? I'm doing great, Bill. Thank you for having me, and and what a great concise introduction of a of a, a sprawling and meandering career.
0: <laughs> it is a very unusual career, Michael. Uh, you.
1: St- I, I was thinking Howard, about it. Right? Michael's my my. Oh Michael's God! My middle yes, end. I know. Howard, Michael, i I get that all the time. And and I don't before know I why. started using Howard Michael.
0: I got Harold all the time. Oh, God. Okay. Well, listen. So there you go. Howard. Howard,
1: Howard, Howard. I (laughs) wrote your publicist
0: and called you Michael in that too. So this is – I just – (laughs) okay. I'm blocking that middle name out of my mind. Howard. So you did something (laughs) – I was thinking about your career uh, a little bit right before the interview, and it occurred to me that you kind of – it kind of followed a trajectory of going from highly collaborative – which is advertising where you're having to – you've got a customer you have to please, and then, of course, you're probably working with lots of different people to come up with whatever ad campaign, to television and film, which is also collaborative to novels, which is just a little – not that collaborative at all, really. Uh, Is that a fair uh, shape to what you've
1: done? Yeah, it's funny. I hadn't really thought about it that way, but I guess that's kind of true. The the pivot in this was that I was a playwright, and that got me actually each of those – job What? It was what? advertising job. It was a play, that, a different play that got me a, the TV career. It was a third different play that Mike Nichols wanted to do to jump me over into movies. Wow. And, uh, so all of those. It's funny because in those areas you sort of, you know, in, in theater you have a lot more control than yeah. you do in any of those yeah. other areas. Uh, yeah. Although in sure. TV as a showrunner, it's very collaborative. But if you are really an empowered showrunner, uh, as I was in some jobs more than others, you really are are in charge there too. Right. But you're very right. In the end, with novels, I'm sitting there by myself. And if I'm stuck, as I was this morning, there's nobody (laughs) to look at to to figure it out and help me bail it out, you know, bail me out.
0: You're down in the hole by yourself. (laughs) All right. So, okay, you are a playwright. Okay, so this is interesting. Uh, so I assume like you studied that in college. Is that kind of how that started?
1: Yeah, some, I was an English major, but I did, uh, study with a, uh, a playwright, uh, and, and, uh, you know, I don't have a degree in playwriting, but I, I definitely did that there. Okay. So, you know, look,
0: playwriting, uh, in terms of the arts, a very, uh, sort of, um, you know that is not what one goes into to make a lot of money, although you can. But it's more of a it's more it's it's sort of it is to writing sort of what painting is to to the, to the visual. So, but you you move from the theater to Madison Avenue, not a jump that a lot of playwrights want to make. Talk to me about that. That's a that's a that's a quite a right turn, it seems like, or a left turn. I don't well, know.
1: Well, you know you know what it's funny because all of these all of these shifts sort of happened by chance in a way. Uh-huh. I I did not set out. I mean I I I decided I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to start writing and you can when you're 17, 18 years old and you're going off to college, you can write and put on plays. In 1980, right. you couldn't you know, even video was in its yeah. infancy. And, and all, yeah. you know, the equipment was inaccessible and prohibitive. So I was yeah. just doing what I was able to do. And then Young and Rubicam, which at the time was the biggest ad agency in the world, uh, had this weird program for about five years where they went out to just a, uh, a handful of the very best colleges. I went to Amherst college. That,
0: that was, was nice. one of them.
1: And, yeah. and they, they looked for kids who were coming out who were creative but didn't really know what the heck they were going to do
0: once right. they got out
1: into the world. And that's why I got hired into that on the basis of a play.
0: And, interesting. Uh,
1: yeah. And so which was the turn you were asking, oh, about being a, going a playwright to Madison Avenue was yeah, that. And you know, it's a... you know funny. It, this interview reminds me, I once got a call uh, from the New York times while I was like a 23 year old, Somebody had told them that I was a playwright who had gotten hired, and they wanted, they were doing a, a piece answering the question if Shakespeare were alive today, he'd be working on Madison <laughs> Avenue. Do you agree or disagree? And I didn't know what to say. I thought if I said, no, I think advertising's kind of stupid, <laughs> I would be hurting myself at my day job. And if I said, oh, yes, this is where all the creativity is, you know? The New York theater world, which I was <laughs> just trying to claw my way into, would right. sort of be looking at me and sneering. Yeah, yeah, so, uh, oh, that's how it happened.
0: Wow. So, and did you did you did you think advertising was kind of stupid? What did you think of it?
1: Yeah. The, oh, yeah. I, I was not happy <laughs> <laughs> oh, you day were... one. I, if I the, the first three assignments I got were uh, one to sell pudding pops as a health food. <laughs> Two to sell ATT as as a, a very personal company that really cares about you. And three was to sell Jamaica as a placid island inhabited exclusively by white people. Oh that was god. the things that they, oh, god. they asked. Did you just feel like that? your
0: soul was shriveling shriveling up yeah. into a raisin? Oh my from, god. From
1: day one. Yeah.
0: Wow. Okay. So but you but you stuck around long enough to win three Cleos.
1: I yeah, feel like cuz you get you get that place you you know you're you're 23 years old and going yeah. where else can I make $28,000 yeah. a year, you know?
0: Yeah. No. No, <laughs> I know. It. It's stuck. You're there, you're doing it, you're getting paid, you're probably meeting some people too. You're probably meeting other creative people, right? I mean, you're at least you're not working as a waiter or, you know, in an accounting firm or something. At least you're sort of around creative types, yeah.
1: I even married one who oh. I met there. So there you go. Oh, nice. Oh, good.
0: Yeah. All right, so yeah. all right, so you do it. So you put in your time, you're there, you're selling pudding pops, and uh, but then television comes nigh. So how did that happen? How did tell what? So whole time you're writing, I assume. You go home and you're doing. So you're I was writing.
1: To... I, I was uh, yes, I was still writing plays, and within advertising, my sort of subspecialty, and this is where I won all the Clio's, was for radio, because back in the eighties. Oh. Uh, It was a thriving sort of comedy radio business. And I could write funny dialogue. So I was doing that and working with exceptionally talented, funny voice actors, one of whom an actress had been uh, sort of a a promising ingenue, let's say 10, 15 years before in Uh Hollywood and now wanted to break back in. She asked me to write something for her and then she came out to Hollywood with it called all the people that she had worked with and had good experiences with before and said, I'm back here, read this thing that was written for me. And she got, you know, a few jobs directly and indirectly off of that. But also uh, one of the people who read that was Alan Burns, who was the co-creator and producer of the Mary Tyler Moore show with Jim Brooke. And he called and said, this is good. And that led to, him giving me one episode of a show, and I came out and stayed at Holiday Inn where I had been writing commercials for, so I knew how to stay there for $49 a night. And I came out with a week, week's worth of shirts and underwear, you know, and thought I wasn't wow. going to be here long, and I ended up never coming home.
0: Was just- that Sybil Shepherd?
1: And no, no. This was a show called FM with Robert Hayes from Airplane and Patricia Richardson, who was later on Home Improvement, which I also oh, okay. worked for later. Uh, yeah, so it was, you know, it was 13 and out, but it was a very good show. And it right. led to one job after another for a long time. Wow. What a, what a, what a great story. What a what a
0: what a triumphant little story that is. I love it. I love it. So you just you kinda of stumble into it, kinda. Of. I mean obviously it's not like it you people were turning to you for something you could clearly do, but you but what I like about it is you had kind of low expectations, it sounds
1: like from the get go. High hopes and and low expectations. <laughs> really and in fact yeah, but I wish somebody had told me at the beginning to keep my expectations low. That that's oh, one really? of the secrets to life. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I agree. You 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 get into it and you think all these great things are going to happen. Right. You're around talented people who want to work with you and legendary people who want to work with you and create shows with you. And it's such a crapshoot, actually, you know, writing a pilot, selling it to script, getting it picked up to a produced pilot, getting it on the air and then have the network back it enough to keep it on. You know, that's a, that's a one in a hundred shot every time out of the gate. And I didn't quite realize that. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And, uh, and it, do you think it pointed at how hard that was. I,
0: I have a friend who, who's doing this down in L and I've seen him I mean, he's he made a very good living for ten years not having anything produced, but he was getting things bought and all this sort of stuff, you know, and getting hired to do stuff. But do you think it's changing it all now? And with well, Chris, I don't know if you're how involved you are with it, but there's so many more venues with Amazon and Netflix and all the different cable channels. Do you think that's changing a little bit because it's not just a oh big yeah, anymore?
1: well, yes, in a sense there are there are it's uh, it's it flipped a little bit. Okay, because I was one of those guys like your friend. Where I, you know I ran some shows and so I had some some big credits and successes right. in TV, but I spent a lot of time in development, and then I did another ten years in features with almost no credits, very very few right. credits, but working constantly and making a very good living.
0: Yeah, I, yeah,
1: I, that has inverted some. So there's much more uh, there's much more content. So there, it's it's easier to get a television show on now somewhere than it used right. to be when there were only three or four networks. But you right. can't make a steady living as easily anymore. You sort of have to be lucky and land on something. And then often it's only an eight or ten episode order. And then you're right. sitting for six months or a year waiting to see whether you're going to work again. Whereas I the... you know, I, my plane landed and I was employed for fifteen straight years. Wow. And that's wow. tough, you know, that doesn't happen now so much.
0: Not so much. But okay, so for 15 years, you're working in tele. Did you like it? Did you like television and film? I mean, because they're, they're kind of related. Did you like it?
1: Uh, yes, uh, off and on. Sometimes I liked it very, very much. Uh, when you're doing a TV series, which is a happy series, that's really yeah. a lovely, great job. You know, and you, you know you have a steady job every day, and you know you have something to make that people are going to be seeing, and that's yeah. terrific. And, yep. and when I directed a movie, even though in post-production people sort of butchered it and it turned into a mess of the situation, while <laughs> right. I was shooting it, I loved doing that. And I often right. liked the actual writing. What I didn't like was how difficult it was and how much out of your hands it was uh, to get something actually made and if it gets made, to get it made well which is actually right. this is a great uh, you know this is a great pivot into what I'm doing now where I'm very very happy because if if what wow. I felt like I was missing after 20 plus years in television and movies was a bunch of things that you could watch that really reflected what I could do right know, now I have two books and a movie that's that's a very faithful adaptation made by exceptionally talented people that's going to be coming out next year. And so now all of a sudden I have things that you can look at. And and I I was just starting to have to acclimate myself to the the sort of career level disappointment of not having those things. And now I get to sit down every morning and go, okay, I just have to be as, as good at this as I can be. I have to be as smart as I can be and work this as hard as I can to make it as good as it can be because somebody actually is going to read this which was the thing I always wanted in the first place. Yeah.
0: You know, it's a funny thing. So because it, it reminds me of one of the things I say to my students. A lot of the, people, the students I work with are prose writers. They're trying to sell books. The most of them don't, don't tend to lean towards um, uh, screenplays and screen. television. So they have a different, you know, towards the screen. But one of the things I have to teach them is, and this is, strikes me, it's similar to your, your, your challenge, is you're not writing, I tell them, Try not to write for agents and editors, because in the end, human beings are going to – readers are going to read your stuff, and they read different than agents and editors. You To understand that your stuff will actually be read by people who want to be entertained as opposed to people who want to decide if it's worth money. It's a different way people read. Do you know what I mean? Whereas so much stuff is getting oh, sure. read and around Hollywood for like, is it worth the $10 million or whatever it is that we're going to put into it? Yeah. It's very different. Yeah.
1: And it it is a totally different mindset, and it's making me so much happier because you always were writing for an executive in a way, right? Yeah. You're you're writing – even if you're writing a pitch, you're going, okay, I'm going to be sitting down with these two people at this one company or two or three people at eight different companies over a week. And what is this – how is this show going to be received by – this person who's not actually a reader. And then if you get the job, you're sitting and writing, hoping that that person is going to like this enough. And you're not thinking of them as, as a human being, um, being right. entertained. You're, you're thinking of them as a stepping stone toward being allowed to write toward entertainment. It's,
0: it's, it's a tough way to work. Uh, and it, I, and I would, so, and so at some point you made the pitch to, or made the switch again to, to fiction um just talk a little bit about how that was it something you really consciously decided or did you have a script you thought i just think this is going to work better in a novel how did that shift happen
1: well i had i had a script that was maybe my best script and it kept getting uh, attachments actors directors and then right. they would fall out short of the whole right. thing getting made and i started to realize that uh, part of the reason for that was the business has been in such transition over the last 10, 20 years. And detective movies, which used to be a great staple of the business, right? Yeah. They aren't made anymore. They're Not sort of so tweeners. Yeah. They're too yeah. small for studios, which are looking for great big, you know, yeah. we know superhero movies. Yeah, franchises. Yeah. <laughs> right, and, right. And, and then in the indie world, they're looking for something that can get made for $3 million, $5 million. Right. Right. And, and is more artsy usually than a detective movie usually is. So I, right. I was a little frustrated um, with the prospects for getting this made, but I noticed that there were lots and lots of detective novels, and I thought, boy, here's this material I really like. I wonder if I could just reverse adapt it and see what it's like to write prose, which I hadn't done since I was a teenager. Wow. Wow. And Jeez. and in fact, I, I, I wrote it and sent it out at first under a pen name because ah. my fear was it was so many novels getting getting bought that it would be bad and still get bought. And oh. people, people in my business where I was making my living would go, did you read that piece of crap?
0: Oh, this, no. That he put oh, out. oh, you're so funny. Well, I'm impressed. I am impressed because I assumed that you were toiling away on prose while you were working in in Hollywood.
1: No. So uh, I'm kudos to you. I love saying this. I'm I am the accidental crime novelist.
0: Oh, fascinating! So you took a yeah. chance, and you said uh, this is last looks, I assume, yeah.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. And you Which said a, I'm going to. The screenplay
1: uh, at the time called Waldo, and then of oh, course okay. you know once it once it sold. Uh, and and we you know I, because of Where's Waldo you know the publisher first mm-hmm. was concerned you know people buying right, online right. or something well, right. well you know it's not if you pick it up in a store you know this is not Where's Waldo but they were right that. so that's how the title Left Looks came and after that um, Charlie Hunnam and then Tim Kirkby the director and then Mel Gibson got involved and and then we got financing and it's already been shot and wow uh, it's almost yes yeah, very deep into the editing process.
0: Well, that is so exciting, yeah. and so and you and so you're and now you're a novelist, now you're Howard Michael Gould, the novelist, and you're liking <laughs> it. You're, you you and, and so you yeah. are okay with it just being you and the screen in the morning and not a writer's room and not people. It's because you're alone. You're alone, and you're
1: okay with that. Yeah, yeah, I am, I am. I mean, if 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 a show, if a series that I really wanted to do fell in my lap somehow i i'm sure i would enjoy doing that again I, it was only a few years ago that i was uh, making the, the most recent show i did it was only it ended about four years ago and that oh, was the cool. most fun i ever had in the business what was that uh, show that was that was instant mom which was for oh, okay. nick at night and tv land okay okay
0: oh yeah. tv land that's where my brother works <laughs> how funny is that mm. okay so uh oh, that's interesting. Oh, you may have even met him, who knows. But um so all right, so you so that was just 4 years ago you and and you liked it, but at this point you would need like the perfect show for you to give up novels or or to to shift over or not.
1: Or are you flexible? Uh, probably probably. I mean <laughs> I, I, you never you never want to say never. You don't know what's going right. to come along, you know. If a friend asked me, if I if I could come in part time or come in for a few weeks on something, maybe I'd do that. Or you know, to run something that I loved, I would do that. But I'm not right. really working very hard to to go chase that kind of situation now. Right. So it kind of has to swing my way somehow. And so and my and question and about a... yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, you go ahead, I know. please. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that I realize at this point it's as likely as anything to come out of something from the books. Right. You know, at some yeah. point, uh, you know, we make a Waldo movie and if if it goes well, maybe we get to make two or even three of them. But at some point, you know, it's movie life will be over and maybe then you try and do it as a series. And then I'm back in right. TV. So. So, you know, it's sort of, I, you know, I, I've gotten to do this is the great thing about my career. The frustrating thing about my career is that there were all these projects that didn't get made. And what I was saying right. about the first 20, 25 uh, years and how right. I didn't have much to show. But the great thing is that along the way, I've gotten to do just about everything. Right. And being sort of open to where, you know, where the cork is going to bob along in <laughs> the river um, has, has just opened those things up. And I, I think that's how I'll always be.
0: So. Well, I, I, You know what? You've got to keep your expectations low. Got to keep those expectations yeah, low. It's, it's really weird. Right. Just see, see what comes. And so, uh, as a, the the Charlie Walda, who's the who's the private eye in the series, very unusual character. And so <laughs> my question is about Charlie. So I mean, the main thing is he is eco maniacal, as I uh, said. In, he's all about his carbon footprint, trying to trying trying to be a good global citizen. It, it's not easy. Was he? Did you? Where? What? What made you land on that? aspect of him did that was that a decision on your part like i know it would be different for for a detective or did that happen much more organically
1: well i had written a first pilot i won't go into how that happened but it was the first time somebody had asked me to write a detective series pilot and it was kind of low concept you know it was it was not, not anyone nearly as unusual as Charlie Waldo. And it didn't go, there was a regime change at the network. And and I think such a low concept thing wasn't going to make it. And I thought I I really loved writing this first detective pilot. And I sort of had my eyes open for another one. And then I saw this um, video, this animated video called the story of stuff. Do you know what that is? Have you ever heard of that? No, It's, uh, Uh it's, it's this animated video. Uh, made by a woman named Annie Leonard, who now runs Greenpeace, but it was about the way we're depleting the planet's resources all in service of this sort of planned consumerism that's also making us miserable because we just want more and more stuff. We (laughs) work harder for more and more stuff, and then we use up the planet to make that stuff and just keep working harder, and it really got under my skin, and somehow that sort of collided with the search for another detective and I said, what if this is somebody who, who is a minimalist? And I did this research, and this is really the hook on Waldo, is that he'll only own 100 things. Your shirt is a thing, your yeah, spoon right. is a thing, your bowl is a thing, and you've got right. ninety seven more. And that's it. Well, so if somebody hands him on if he's on a case and someone hands him a business card, he's got a problem because he's either gonna okay. turn it down right. or get right. rid of his underwear or something, you know. Right. And I I when I was looking for a detective, that just seemed like that would be the gift that kept on giving. And right. it turned out terrific, you know?
0: That's well, so all right, so my next question is When you sat down to write your first novel, what was the hardest thing for you to learn about switching over to that medium?
1: Oh, well, I just was intimidated by prose. Yeah. And I, I I don't, I, 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 I'm very lucky in that the way that it just came out turned out to be a voice that people were receptive to, but I don't feel like I have the command to switch up to a whole different voice with confidence Uh, and so that's you know I'll keep challenging myself and I'm sure I'll be trying that in another book with another character Um, but that was the hardest part I think.
0: Well I I do love Andre Dubus he wrote uh, The House of Sand and Fog and Mm -hmm. um, a great memoir called Townie and I've, I've had a lot of great conversations with him and we were talking about voice once and he said something which I think is really true which is that voice is ultimately an expression of your interest in your point of view more than anything else and so if you allow whatever you're writing about to be a true expression of what you're interested in and if your interest evolves your voice should evolve with it so I think because the voice is very clear in this uh in this work it's really right there on the surface oh very thank you. distinctive thank you so just just follow your nose Howard it's worked for you so <laughs> far my friend
1: just follow <laughs> thank it thank you so, all right.
0: Well, listen. Okay. Before I get to my last question, uh, you're an interesting guy. People might want to learn more about you. Might want if they might want to learn where, where do they go? Where do they go to learn about Howard Michael Gould?
1: Uh, they could go to my website, HowardMichaelGould.com. They can follow me on uh, Instagram. That seems to be the happiest one where I'm at Howard oh. Michael Gould. Twitter, okay. and Facebook. I'm at Howard M Gould. Uh, I'm going to be, if they're in L.A. tomorrow or in in the West Valley, I'm going to be out at the the Barnes & Noble in Thousand Oaks tomorrow, which is the 11th. And I'm going to be in New York. My first event in New York is going to be October 2nd at the Mysterious Bookshop, the Legendary Mysterious Bookshop. I'm very excited about that. It's October 2nd.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. good for you. You're cross country. This is good. That's good that your <laughs> that your your publisher is willing to send you to the other coast. It's rarer and rarer <laughs> these days. All right. Well, congratulations. Okay. So HowardMichaelGould.com, etc. All right. My last yes. question then, before I Go. set you free. Finish this sentence. If writing has taught you anything,
1: it's taught you what? Uh, you know what popped into my head is patience. Uh, ah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: That's I don't a good know if that's one. That's the
1: right answer. I don't know no, if it's can't No, you know what? That would be it.
0: Can you ever be too patient? Is it possible? Uh, that's not for me. I can't be <laughs> anyway.
1: That's great. That's great. There we go. Howard,
0: you're a great guy. Congratulations on the book and the movie. Thank and, you, Bill. And uh, I, uh, I look forward to seeing it and reading your next one.
1: Excellent. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Oh, you're welcome. Patience, people. Patience. Don't worry. It's going to come. It's going to come. It's going to happen. It will. you got to get out of the way. you got to be patient. Okay, listen, if you're at the conference, I'll say hello to you. Say hello to me. But I'll be back again next Tuesday with another fabulous guest. In the meantime, go find something you love and do it. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks.